Coming to you from the studios at Cornerstone Tiny Homes, welcome to the very first episode of All About Small Living. I'm your host, Jerry Isinger. Hope you're having a great day, folks. Welcome in. We're going to talk a lot about everything related to the folks who live small, whether that be a tiny house on wheels, a tiny house on a foundation, or a micro apartment. I am joined by Kim Hiltbrand. Kim is the co-owner and... Uh, What's your official title? The czar? She's the czar of Cornerstone Tiny Homes, folks. She's joining us today. We're going to talk about RVIA and HUD. So for all of you listening, welcome in. Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jerry. I am so excited to launch this pod- podcast and uh, get everybody involved. For those of you who don't know, Cornerstone is a builder of tiny homes and they are RVIA certified. If you're brand new to tiny homes, you might have no idea what that means Kim, how do you describe it? Um, So first of all, RVIA stands for Recreational Vehicle Industry Association. I know, it's quite a a mouthful. mouthful. That's why it's always abbreviated. So um, what RVIA is responsible for or what it does is it polices the RV industry to make sure that they're addressing health, life, and safety issues for any temporary living quarters. Uh, They actually have two different types of standards that they build to. Um, There is an RV travel trailer. Those are considered to be eight and a half feet wide. RV travel trailers, they can be motor homes, they can be travel trailers, they can be the pop-up campers. And that would mean they they would never need a permit to be on the road. Right, the person that's transporting them They don't have to have a special license. Uh, They don't have to have a special permit to go down the road. That's the distinction. Um, Those types of vehicles are built to NAFPA 1192. Uh, NAFPA, a lot of of acronyms here. (laughs) NAFPA is National Fire Protection Agency or Association. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, but those standards are established for anything that's eight and a half feet wide and under as a temporary living quarters. Um, RVIA is also responsible for health, life, and safety for park model trailers. Uh, those are anything above eight and a half feet wide, but are still considered to be temporary living quarters. And they are under 400 square feet. And the standard that those are built to is ANSI, A-N-S-I, and I don't remember what that one stands for. Sorry. (laughs) You did pretty well. Two out of three is a 66%. Uh, We'll take that. So you and your husband, Brett, you started this company five years ago, and you operated for a while as a tiny home builder, but not RVIA certified. Then you became certified. What's the difference, and why did you make that leap? So uh, my husband is a licensed contractor and we built typical homes. We were very uh, much into the building inspections, building to a a particular code to make sure that it was safe. Um, We we welcomed that oversight. We always wanted our occupants of our spaces to be safe and, and to feel confident in their builder. Um, Once we kind of transitioned into tiny home building, we realized that it was more or less an unpoliced sort of uh, industry. It was so new, uh, different things that that came about. Uh, There were people that were building their own tiny homes. 
I, I think that is great as long as you have a skill level and you're addressing, again, it's all about life, health, and safety. So it was so important to us to bring that, that sense of, of uh, oversight to our building process to give our customers that uh, sense of well-being once they were in their small home. So it's been quite a drastic difference then in terms of once you jumped on board and became certified, now you're in, officially you're an RV. That helps with what, getting insurance? That helps with getting funding. A lot of the clients here I know get RV loans. And probably most importantly, it gets people in the RV parks. What percentage of the people do you say, uh, the clients who come through here, how many leave this place and go directly to an RV park? Boy, of our customers, I would say maybe 15% do not go to an RV park. Uh, maybe maybe 20. Um, most of them go to RV parks, and most RV parks require the RVIA certification. Again, they have to be certain that they're, um, the units that they allow to park next to other units in their, their park are also going to be safe. For, so for instance, God forbid there would be a fire, uh, there would have to be a means of escape at every route that you could take within an RV. Um, so those are the sorts of things that they're responsible for as a park owner. How difficult was it, was it to become a member of the RVIA? We welcomed RVIA into our uh, facility so that they could inspect the processes that we had and to ensure that we had all of those life, health, and safety issues taken care of. Um, we, uh, the process is pretty simple. You do an application to RVIA. They set up your initial inspection. Um, we went through all of the plans that we normally uh, map out with our customers. Um, as always, we have that uh, several means of escape. That, I, we don't just have two are what is required. We always have more than two means of escape in an RV. Um, we use the coatings, um, the finishes, all of those sorts of things that's required for, again, life, health, and safety as required by RVIA. Another process as a part of that is we became licensed RV manufacturers in the state of Florida. Uh, that was probably the harder one to explain. I thought the first one was actually pretty complicated. Nice work <laughs> out of you for simplifying that for us. Yeah. So when, when people come here, how many would you say generally uh, even ask for that sort of certification? Or is it something that's just unknown amongst the, uh, the uh, wannabe tiny home occupants? I would say of our customers, 75 to 80% are, are pretty savvy. Um, they've done their research. They, they want to have a, a safe place to stay. Um, some, some of our RV owners are a temporary uh, living situation. They go there as a weekend home, or maybe they rent it out as an Airbnb. So they want their guests also to be safe. So it's important to them. Um, I can say too, without the RVIA certification, we would never be considered to go into NADA. Um, NADA establishes uh, a value for uh, RVs, boats, cars. Uh, we've probably all heard of it, the blue book. Um, so that once they establish that value, then we're able to get RV lending. 
And by the way, for the folks who are unaware, Cornerstone, and you're welcome to our website anytime, it's cornerstonetinyhomes.com. Make sure to check us out. But there's basically two products we um, have here. We build tiny homes on foundations and we build tiny homes on wheels. Now, that's what you think of when you think of a tiny home, probably because of all the television programs, which are wonderful. And we'll be on, by the way, this fall on Tiny House Nation. I hope you check it out. We are episode six. But what's happening right now with tiny homes on foundations also deserves a little attention, simply because we look at it like it's the future living trend, really. Small homes on foundations, which are now becoming legal in Florida in several parts as developments, as communities. They are governed by HUD, is that correct? Yes, um, anything that is considered to be a permanent dwelling structure is governed by HUD. So HUD, um, years and years ago, uh, decided that they would determine the uh, restrictions, or I should say the regulations, for life, health, and safety again, but for permanent dwellings. So yes, HUD has a, a hand in any of those. Um, in Florida, we have a specific code, the Florida Building Code. Uh, that goes along with the International Residential Code, IRC. Um, it's probably even a little more strict than HUD requirements are. Uh, but it, And in Florida, we certainly have building standards that are far above most of the nation due to our hurricanes and things. And maybe five years ago, we wouldn't have had many return phone calls from some cities or from some counties around Florida. Two things have happened. One, there is a pretty massive housing shortage and a equally troubling uh, affordable housing crisis. So these two together have forced a lot of folks uh, throughout the state of Florida and, and throughout the country in all fairness to take a look at all the people who can't afford to live in their counties. The Orlando area has come out recently as the worst place in the country for affordable living. So now we are seeing the trend, we're seeing actually decisions made on that level, on the uh, elected official level, where they're allowing foundation homes. Um, and again, they have to meet or exceed building code. When people ask what is building code compliant, how do we describe that? Florida has a very distinct set of um, building methods that we have to follow due to the level of winds that we get here, uh, whether it be a tropical storm or a hurricane. We've all seen the devastating damage that can happen once a hurricane comes through. Um, so as the years go by, building codes are modified. Unfortunately, it's a lot of times through the result of a storm. Uh, they realize that if only we had this bracing or we had this strapping, that, that those things could have been improved as far as life, health, and safety again. It always comes back to that. So um, in Florida, we have a particularly strict set of building codes. We have hurricane strapping. Um, there are either three or four different wind zones, even within the state of Florida, that have to be followed in order to uh, have a building or a structure built in an area. That, for instance, the Keys has a 180 mile per hour wind uh, load requirement versus interior Florida is probably more at 130 miles an hour. So uh, depending on where you're going, you need to be certified in that area. And then whoever the local building inspectors are, they're going to come out and make sure, too, that you have followed all of those rules. 
I would just like to say that these standards were established years ago before anybody ever heard of a tiny home. Um, the distinctions between a permanent dwelling structure and a temporary dwelling structure was, was created a long time ago, long before tiny homes. Um, you know, they are making some concessions now. They are listening. Uh, people are making some progress on making tiny homes more livable and more accepted by the general public and by the government. So stay tuned. We're all working on it. That's awesome. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to our very first episode. This is the maiden voyage of All About Small Living. Glad you're here again. I'm Jerry Isinger. Contact us anytime, cornerstonetinyhomes.com, and we'll see you next time.